Now the people don't need to know this, but this is obviously the second attempt at the recording after I I definitely dropped the rock yesterday, and I'll come on there and say it. You know, no, sometimes we're not at our best. Sometimes you're not at your best, and you've got to know when to just just to call it off, call it a bad one, move on. But what matters is that we are here now. Yo, 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 we're back, season two, episode three, black guys and gal in a box, and we're here with the newest member, Alana. Hola. We are here with Angelo. Wagwan. Nate's also up in the piece. Yes, yes, yes. As is Dom. Now then, how you doing? now then, I'll do. How are we all? Let's go in reverse order. How are you, Dom? I'm tip top. I'm... 45 minutes into watching my team play well again. So right now, spirits are really quite high. I've not seen this for a long time. And very different to how I was when we were recording last night. So you're going to see a much happier Dom today. <laughs> you, you say, well, I mean, we, we don't really like to talk spot too much. You say they're playing well. What's the score? Who are they playing against? We're beating Norwich 2-0 and that's our level now. That's our level. <laughs> So, For non-football fans, Norwich are bottom of the league with the least points. You can only beat who's in front of you. The, they share the ignominy of being having been relegated the most times in Premier League history. So, there you go. Anyway, Nate, how are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm uh, keeping busy and, yeah, in high spirits. He's rocking the neurophones. I didn't I didn't realise this. So, you you, you levelled up, have you? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm a... Uh, but I'm a subscription <laughs> gang. You know what I'm saying? I'm not... I like, Absolutely. I, uh, I lose headphones far too often. So, yeah. How do you lose but, headphones? Yeah. Bro, I just, yeah, yeah. I leave them on the metro, I leave them on trains. Say less. Say they less. literally are attached to your head when oh, you no, I don't all... understand that. No, no, no. <laughs> There's some kid somewhere in North Tyneside with a mean pair of headphones that I left on the metro. So, yeah. <laughs> Angelo, how are you, brother? Uh, tired. And I feel like I start every single <laughs> podcast by saying tired. But the levels are fuckery, people. The levels are fuckery. Like, it's different. Like, just every... Like, I basically need to get off social media. Because you're gone then. You'll be like, oh, rah. Terry Crews is talking again. Okay. And then it's like, well, why is this person trending? Click. Oh, oh, no. Now I can't watch that TV show no more. You know, so... Yeah, just tired of the, of the BS. And also, I did cycle. I did, I did a 500-kilometer uh, bike ride last month for charity. And I'm feeling it a little bit in the legs that is the creator of black boris complaining about being on social media too much (laughs) (laughs) how are you uh i'm good i'm good you know i got black boris to keep me going these days um but actually I, i am really good i've got a lot of creative projects in the pipeline just some personal passion projects i'm working on and um like nate just just keeping busy and fighting the good fight one day at a time that's all you can do that is all you can do and I, I i think we do a pretty good job here of trying to get people to just sort of make a difference around them and in, like you say if you come on the podcast and you're feeling tired and you've had a you've had a bad day go as my mum used to say go and clean your room <laughs> as kendrick said well, what part of jamaica is your mum from mate <laughs> Clean your room. Clean your room now. <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> Shit don't change until you 
wipe your ass. <laughs> so, yeah, it's that kind of attitude. But anyway. So let's get right into it. Now, this first topic kind of it came from a situation I had at work. You know, we're talking in a group and I dealt with this issue recently. We were pitching for an asterisk music client and there was an internal grapple about the title Urban Music. Now, for the first call, I kind of sat back. I've only been there a few months just to see where the conversation led, just to see what people would say. You know, you don't want to sort of pile in, be too strong on that. And then it was only after sort of the sidebar with a colleague who's also a minority ethnic that the issue was confronted and we said, you know what, this is definitively black music and should be called as such. Not remotely controversial point of view. Republic Records have said have had this, taken this stance themselves and it emerged later on that the client was also taking this stance. So they were like really pleased when we did the, the pitch that, you know, we were taking the same stances that, that they've come down to. The conversation was, is it time to retire the term black as a label? Now, I know Angelo, who I was having a conversation with, you've got your view and it's... I think it's a really great phrase to use. You called it a singular identity that binds us. And, you know, binding is many things. Books are bound, feet are bound. Those are two different meanings, very different meanings. And for me, black with all its baggage is like the best term we can use at the minute because we can go about sort of dealing with the historical associations. You're kind of, with the word black, I feel like you're sort of keeping... You're keeping the enemy in front of you. You know where the attacks are coming from with that word. And I think with everything else we've got going on at the minute, that's the best sort of place for us to be whilst we figure a lot of things out. And I don't feel like we're simply in a place in society to re-identify and re-centre who we are at this minute. So I want to sort of open this up. I mean, I think other things that play into this, like we've obviously got the debates around colourism in the black community to reflect how that title in itself is, is it's just sort of rife with with issues and inconsistencies but i think at the minute as a title it's something we can manage and recognize perception wise at least with regards to those on the outside making our lives difficult even if that sort of disregards some of the issues that we have ourselves with the term as i spoke with you first angela would you like to sort of take the conch and tell us how you feel yeah i think it's a very interesting time to be having this discussion i've been talking with um a friend about um beyonce's new song uh, black parade and listening to the song and and it troubled me it really troubled me but i couldn't put my finger on why straight away and when i was thinking about it it's uh i feel like beyonce is trying to sell this singular story of blackness but also africanness and um, I've heard this phrase used a couple of times, the Wakandification of blackness. This idea that Africa is a country, that, you know, we're all Africans and this. And I can I can already see Dom just like, <laughs> nah, I'm not having it. No, um, not having that, no. But but so I just wanna I just wanna read uh, something that Hortense Spillers, who is a great writer and critic and scholar, said, and she uses this phrase, the historical break. And she's, uh, she's written in terms of Afro-pessimism, which is a different way of kind of considering this idea of blackness and history. And the whole idea that because historically people that are called black were not people, they were property, that you can't then try and layer a humanity on top of that. So she says that it was a cultural, talking about slavery and the historical break that slavery represents, it was a cultural severing affecting enslaved peoples down to a molecular level. Obviously, 
Um, those that were enslaved were bred as livestock. There's a reason that, you know, Domkin was telling us that he was out of shape, but also dunking a basketball like it was nothing. It's like, it's genetically, uh, you know, selective breeding. And then this is me. The popularity of Black Panther and Afrofuturism in general is that it allows for imagined futures to take the place of the accepted and scrubbed version of history. And it's not, this is the important thing, it's not meant to be a chance to recreate one singular new history because that in and of itself is an erasure. And this is one of the things I wrote about in my dissertation with Black Panther, which is whilst I love the spectacle and I love seeing black people on the screen, it's clearly a piece that is trying to highlight this idea of pan-Africanism, this idea of one Africa. And it's like, well, hold on a second. There is so much cultural diversity in one place. If you just take Nigeria, for example, there is so mm. much cultural diversity in there. There were so many different places that it was before where it was kind of just bound together as this one country that a term black has no, in my opinion, has no chance of capturing all of that. And mm. my view is that I want black to be almost like a placeholder. I want it to be mm. viewed in the same way that we look at a term like LGBTQ because you can be a part of the LGBTQ community but you can say I'm the L part, I'm the G part, I'm the you know the other different parts. Mm. And I just think that black and I think Dan's right that we're not ready to have this conversation but black is very very limiting as a term and I think we're going to talk mm. about it as well with the last topic about not fitting inside boxes like the very name of I'll, I'll finish with this the very name of this podcast for me is a little bit of a rebuke to this idea of blackness because in different ways none of us fit into the stereotypical uh notion mm. of blackness whether it's because mm. of our degree level education whether it's because we have people that work in tech and and high level business um so yeah for me i i, I understand why it's used i just think it's limiting it's interesting because when this com when you having this conversation, I, I think I've, I find myself having a similar like debate in my career. So like like say I'm in tech and there's so much talk around diversity and inclusion and 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 this uh, and kind of BAME initiatives and all this stuff. And every now and then I just kind of have to check myself because as much as it is a you know black is a term which it doesn't allow you to have uh, a first impression. You know, it doesn't allow you to to be able to to go in there and the person see you as you. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's nothing we can do about that. As a label, I think exactly what you say. It's a placeholder. And for now, it's our jobs to continue doing what we're doing. We're, we're changing the perceptions of black people, right? Even when you get them little racist microaggressions. Oh, you speak well, don't you? It's like, yeah, damn right, I do. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That is kind of my take on it. Alana, did you want to pick up from there? Yeah, I'm having a lot of thoughts because on the one hand, I love the term black. I love the energy that it carries, at least for me. When I, when I feel into the word black, what it represents for me personally, it's something that um, I'm really proud of. Just like when I call myself a woman, it has a very specific energy for me that I'm very proud of. I do recognize that, you know, at the end of the day, these are just words, but, you know, words are important and they're how we make sense of our world as humans. And so I don't think we'll ever be able to escape having terms 
to categorize people and to categorize ourselves or to label ourselves. I mean, that is when you think about like the LGBTQIA plus community, all of those different labels is because people are trying to define themselves. So I do think that we are always going to have, you're always going to have something to describe yourself, whether that term is black and whether that's the right term that we should hang on to. I don't know. It's so it's so personal. I, de I definitely agree. I don't think we're ready to release the term black. Um, but I also don't know if we as humans will ever get to a point where we're not defining things with language. I agree. Just as humans, we, we tend to label everything and everyone. And I don't see that going away. But me personally, I don't have any issue with it. I embrace it. I love referring to myself and being referred to as black I've got no issues with it and I think we're getting to a situation here in 2020 where people are starting to talk about their blackness as a part of themselves but no longer just as the only part of themselves and even when I think about my own blackness my own blackness it's not a solitary thing it's made up of lots of different things I can go to the fact that my family is Jamaican and the Jamaican heritage and what that brings um, I can go to the music that I enjoy, the food, the culture that I've enjoyed my whole life. And I don't see black as a term to encapsulate all of that being an issue because my friend Angelo, my friend Dan, Alana, Nate, Kofi, anyone is going to have a very different idea of what their blackness means to them. So for me, we have these overarching, these umbrella terms, and I don't have an issue with it. I actually think it's something that I'm happy with I, I've in the last few weeks I've had several conversations with people and in those conversations it's always centered around POC and BAME and you all know what my situation is with those kind of terms <laughs> I'm not here for it I am not here for it and yeah. I say to these guys listen yeah. I'm not BAME no that's not me man I'm black that's it I'm telling you I'm black so refer to me as such and I think that's an issue if you don't want to be referred to as a certain thing tell that person and they shouldn't refer to you as that for me, I'm happy with it. I love it and I embrace it. But I think there's an issue between the personal and the corporate. So it's like, if if I want to be uh, considered as black, that's great. The, 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 world, the world considers me as that. But if it's like, and I think you made this great point where it's like, it's a part of the identity, not the identity. And that's yeah. great on a personal level. The problem is, is that until mm. black stops being a shorthand for some pretty negative things within the West, this is why, for me, the conversation needs to be had. And I think I have to be really clear that I think that this is the perfect time to be having this conversation because it feels like in 2020, like, we're just like, right, let's, let's, let's discuss everything because, like, we might not be here for too much longer the way 2020 is going. So let's, <laughs> let's kind of, like, this. If, if everything's about to blow up, let's use this as an opportunity to actually really kind of liberate and that's the, the key word for me is about liberation um yeah i'm black but i want to be liberated from i want to be liberated from when there's something terrible that happens on the news and i hold my breath until i find out it's not a black person and there's part of me that goes phew and not because it's like i'm part that person's family but because it's like people are gonna go well that's your lot in it <laughs> you know it's it's it, i want to be liberated yeah. from that i want to be liberated from the idea that because I'm black, I'm going to be rubbish at football in the winter. 
you know what I mean? And, and it's the microaggressions as well as the mm-hmm. kind of knees. <laughs> sort of old school microaggressions. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a throwback <laughs> right there, man. That's like Saturday morning school rugby ones. Um, <laughs> but Sorry, yeah, I, I want to be liberated from those little ones as much as I want to be liberated from the uh, the colour of my skin being seen as a threat and mm. therefore being an acceptable use of lethal force. Dan, what's your views? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I think, the side of it, like I say, this this began because of it. We're, we're talking, we're talking about music, and they needed a title. And you you get this a lot in councils. You get this a lot when people are applying for jobs. You get this in forms. That's, this is you know this and this rolls into all that other thing about um, dis- discrimination. And if you have blind applications, suddenly you start to see a lot more black women getting jobs. You see a lot more black men getting jobs. And but the that only the need for us to categorize is at the heart of pretty much every, every problem. Well, every single problem. It's interesting. So, like, a lot of my research around um, when I was at the university was around like freelance and brand communities. So, how do you establish, you know, grassroots small communities uh, within a particular group of people? So, like, I started to look into tribalism. And, and that's and that's where you get you get to like you once you understand that as humans anyway we can't comprehend more than you know there's that rule that you can't have more than 150 kind of live connections in your life and that's the maximum amount of people like you can you can process and, and kind of deal with but so what we do then is we go right we'll band all you lot together that's one bunch that's one bunch and the creation of white and black is the biggest and most successful execution of tribalism. It's it's actually it's insane. Like the scale, once you like I say, I once you understand the scale of what these people purposefully did by creating a pseudoscience, then you can start to unpick it and go, right, this is why we need to how do we combat pseudoscience? And we have to educate people. And there has to be a willingness to educate people on a scale that is not being seen, a, a truth and reconciliation that is, will not be seen. It's more than mm. a pseudoscience, though, isn't it? It's like it yeah, was, yeah. it was, they needed a justification. That This is the thing. The people that started enslaving people knew that it was wrong, which was why they thought so hard about how do we sell this? Because you've got to remember that 50, 100 years before, even into the time that they were doing it, some of the biggest trading partners were from some of the empires of Africa. So it's very difficult to say, oh, these uh, people are lesser than, when it's like, no, but we get our fineries from them. So mm. it's, it's. I think I think you might have said it before, Nate. It's, the mo- it's not s- pseudoscience. I think you described it as the most successful PR campaign in history. Mm. Mm. And, and, and it really is. Because you have to, you have to really commit to the bit. Like I do, Black Boris. I know what committing to a bit is like. But to commit <laughs> to a bit for hundreds of years that kind of says, yeah. look, if you're a kind of shade, you, 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 you're basically a good athlete and limited mm. intelligence, and therefore need, mm-hmm. you, you know, like cattle. You know, you're basically thoroughbred horses. You know, it's a hell of a bit to commit to. Well, well we're, we're just seeing now. It's quite interesting. We're just seeing the effects now of of the scales falling from the eyes and then was like <laughs> oh and what we're seeing is, is you've got the associations of colonialism sort of come to the fore or we've only ever seen the product 
of colonialism, which is, oh, we've got all these lovely museums, we've got all these lovely statues, um, aren't we a great country? You can travel to Canada, you can go to Australia, great. They've got three pin plugs in Malawi. Aren't we all wonderful? <laughs> now, we're starting to connect the dots on what led to that. And people start to say, oh, there's a statue there. Let me, let me look up this statue. Let me look up Colston Hall. And for a lot of people, it's, t- it's almost too ugly a history to confront. They're like, well, it's just part of the past. Just leave things how they are. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, starting to, we're starting to have those conversations. And, and the funny thing that came up at work this week is we do it like a, as part of the editorial team, we do like a daily newsletter and uh, just to see what pe- so people can see what's going on in social. And one of the things was that came up was we got the first black winner of the, the Booker Prize. And I was like, I got to the end and I said, I mean, the irony of that, of course, is you know who the Booker Prize was set up by and you know the company that started that and you know they made their money in sugar plantations. <laughs> and you know it's basically, you're now celebrating a black woman winning a prize effectively established by slavers this unfortunately this is just this is the history of this country now yeah. and that's that's well that's you say now what but we've got to sort of live with you, you say now no, not now you this know is what I mean? the history of this country but this, this, is, is, this, this is, is this is the point isn't it? i mean for me that's the point like i over the past you know i'm looking to my left i'm seeing a range of books that i've invested time in in in, in diving into and, and unpicking like i'm reading about like black tudors and kind of you know the 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 kind of you know the british history that is here so yeah i'm don't get me wrong i'm gassed and and looking into kind of granny uh nanny patty and the um winwood maroons and tr- really getting to grips with like you know angelo you talk about the need for liberation well for me liberation doesn't come without revolution so for me it's around a revolution but it's a different kind of revolution i'm not talking pitchforks and axes it's a, as you say, it's a, a revolution of thought, and I think for me the kind of don't rule things out though. Hey, hey, hey! Look, Dan, we know your position. We know your position. <laughs> Civil war is nice, but I think my kind of final bit on the the term black is before it was a label in which we had no control. Now I'm weaponizing it. There you go. Fucking hell, Terry Crews will be uh-huh. shaking his boots, mate. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? This is this is my problem. So bringing it back to Beyonce and Black Parade is like there are so many people whose blackness is wrapped up in in capitalism and it's impossible you go mm. look at look up a phrase like Ubuntu and kind of the history of 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 um, African nations and what they thought about the individual versus the collective and mm-hmm. So when we talk about kind of cap- capitalizing it and having control over it it too quickly mm-hmm. falls into into a capitalist lens and for me that will be forever problematic Uh, no of course and i guess you know to kind of build on what i mean by weaponize is that i know this term means i'm going to get treated a certain way i know this term means i'm going to get perceived a certain way i know this now through my lived experience so all right then that's the start point and i know it's a bit sad that that is kind of the where you know where it's at but also that's where it's at so it's you know it's not up to anyone else to change the perception of people around me apart from me, like and and once again it always comes down to that for me. Like I understand the debate around the term, but there is absolutely nothing I can do other than change people's perceptions around me, and that's you know that's what I'm going to try and continue to do. 
I feel you. I think as well, just before we, we start to move on as well, I said at the start of this that I don't have an issue with the term black. The one thing I do have an issue is the term black history. I don't want black history to be used as something mm. that we talk about over here anymore. It doesn't mean anything. What is black history? I didn't go to school and get told, today we're going to learn about Jewish history. We went into the Holocaust. Black history is our history, whatever our looks like. It's the same way you talk about um, British people. We all like tea. We all like coffee. We all have a bit of a sweet tooth. Why do we like all that shit? Because we went over there and we <laughs> took these people and transplanted them to a different part of the world. The same reason why the most British institute that we can think of Wimbledon why is there a pineapple on top of the Wimbledon trophy? Mm. <laughs> how, did, how did pineapple get to Wimbledon? They don't grow them in frigging Essex, do they? Come on now. So these are things that we need to stop talking about as being a black thing. This is not black history. This is British mm. history. Them times there were people talking about Yorkshire tea like it grows there. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, guys, come on. Like, let's not pretend... You don't know anything about marketing. Like, you got to sell the thing. <laughs> a, a service, though. At the end of the day, who are the, who are the proudest? Who are the proudest people in this nation? Possibly other than black people. Yorkshire folk. Yorkshire people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you slap Yorkshire in front of that. You're going to sell that. That tea's going to fly off the shelves. I'm telling you. <laughs> but what it's, I, and I why are we know, so like, proud I, it's because everybody else looks at it as like a joke there's a reason that those kind of people are so proud there's a reason that black yeah, people yeah. are so proud that Asian yeah. people are so proud because if you get marginalised all the time like Yorkshire people do as well yeah. then you've yeah. got to get together and be proud yeah. about yeah. yourselves yeah that's yeah. it and that's the interesting thing like all the money all the power in the UK centralised in the southeast. I mean, who are these people? <laughs> who are they? All my friends from the south southeast. I'm sorry, but like, you're very much last choice if I'm picking people. From this. You know, there's about six of you that are cool. The rest of you, you're <laughs> Okay. Anyway, let's stop sending shit. <laughs> If you if, if you stay out of my DMs after you listen to this, it's not about you. Just bear that in mind. As soon as you reply to me, it's about you. <laughs> Some people just need to know when strays astray. You gotta just keep it moving. You gotta let sometimes you just gotta let it just go past the face. Wow. Mate, yeah. this is genius. Well done, keep going with this. <laughs> yeah. I will say this as well. Like it's, it, it, the, the deeper thing here is, no, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about No Name, J Cole, and policing of tone in general. So, as a man who makes his living in social media advertising, I you know I love memes. It's a matter of public record, and I don't know. Can you guys remember the meme which was "Be His Peace"? So the meme "Be His Peace" now. This meme would be like where a woman would post, y'all, be his peace, dot, 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 me, colon. And then the woman would be like, there'd be a picture of her like holding a baseball bat next to the cow with smashed up windows while throwing up the Wu-Tang sign. And the root of this meme is a sentiment that women should be subservient to men. Her, their role is to be the man's peace, is to be his calm, is to, you know, put their needs secondary to her needs, you know, their comfort secondary to 
to the the comfort of men. And I sort of felt this in the No Name J. Cole thing where she is someone who's no name with with everything that was kicking off after the, the, the George Floyd death and with the death of Breonna Taylor and people taken to the streets. No name who is known for having sort of really in the last eighteen months put herself out there and been like stridently pro black. She had a book club and she's very loud about how she believes people should commit and people in the public eye should commit to advancing the black cause and she threw out a loose tweet obviously saying uh, some of the biggest rappers having made their whole careers about black plight and keeping quiet when it matters now as most people agree there's only a couple of people she could have been talking about <laughs> there's only a couple of people she could have been talking about at that point <laughs> and that's where you know the stray should have just gone past but J. Cole took to the booth and he responded and at the heart of his response was he said a lot to be fair to him he said a lot. I think he said a lot of nothing. There's a young lady out there, she way smarter than me. I scroll through her timeline in these wild times and I started to read. She mad at these crackers, she mad at these capitalists, mad at these murder police. She mad at my niggas, she mad at her ignorance, she wear her heart on the sleeve. She mad at the celebrities, low key I be thinking she talking about me. Now I ain't no dummy to think I'm above criticism, so when I see something that's valid, I listen, but shit, there's something about the queen's tone that's bothering me. She strike me as somebody blessed enough to grow up in conscious environment with parents that know about the struggle for liberation and in turn they provide her with a perspective and awareness of the system and a fairness that afflicts them and the clearest understanding of what we gotta do to get free and the frustration that feels the worst seems to come from the fact that most people don't see just cause you woke and i'm not that shit ain't no reason to talk like you better than me how you gonna leave when you attacking the very same niggas that really do need the shit that you saying instead of conveying you holier come help us get at the speed the root of it was he didn't like her tone he didn't like the fact that she is an educated woman was looking down on him as someone who he felt didn't quite know as much as her and it was her job to teach him it's her job to if she wants to convince people to come to her side she's got to treat them like children was one of the bars he used and then at the end of the song to be fair it's like well maybe i just don't do enough so that's why i think he said a whole lot of nothing at the end of the song um, being the key phrase the very last verse of the song <laughs> Exactly. Like, it was yeah, a massive shit sandwich, right. wasn't it? Massive shit sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an absolute mess. But it's like it was the timing of it was it was so strange and so bizarre and it predictably divided the black community that were aware of it into the, the two different camps, roughly men and women. But also <laughs> beyond that, it was uh People who feel like we've spoken about it previously, people feel you shouldn't you, you shouldn't necessarily be shamed for not being loud with with your activism, being loud with what you do. He shouldn't have to show what he did. They were like pulling up pictures that after the fact, J Cole was actually out on the streets marching, despite the fact that he was actually on the marching after she'd shamed him. Yeah, so I think we want to open this up to see how how do people view the situation? Do we think that anything was worthwhile was gained from the exchange? What did we learn from the exchange? Um, Alana, who just sighed. So in, I just, so I had tired fashion. <laughs> she about to, she about to spit, about to hit some bars. I just, no, not even. Well, maybe we'll see. So first of all, I have to say, at first, when when we brought up this topic, I was like, who cares though? Because I'm so sick of hearing musicians beef in the public eye about stuff where it's just like, go home, write in your diary. Like it doesn't need to be talked about on like a public platform for most of this stuff. But as a woman, I do understand like sometimes you just reach, 
your limit. And as a black woman, especially where it's like black women have literally laid down their lives and given so much to protect black men and to defend the lives of black men with little to no recognition <laughs> or, you know, when it's time for black men to repay the favor, it's like they're all silent. I get that you get to a point where it's like you hear it's like the silence is so loud and then you just go off on Twitter. So first of all, I get that. Then for J. Cole to read these tweets, not necessarily directed at him, but clearly if he is having some sort of response, some sort of guilt response, then he knows that he's not doing enough. For him to be triggered by something that wasn't even calling him out directly and then to write a whole song about it and then to publish it, it's like... To me, I was just having a conversation about this, about how guilt, when you feel guilt, the only use for guilt is that it is highlighting where you are either not doing anything or not doing enough. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, once you recognize that, you can't use your guilt and you can't use your sadness to then justify continuing the bullshit behavior. So. What I just expressed is what I think J. Cole exactly did. And so when when No Name clapped back with her own song, which I just think is incredible, and she was basically like, oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> like, oh, so sorry, J. Cole, but also why the fuck are we still talking about you and, like, your feelings? <laughs> when the whole reason I started this conversation because I was like, get off your ass and go out into the streets and do something. Um, I thought that was very well played. One girl missing, another one go missing. One girl missing, another. But niggas in the back, quiet as a church mouse. Basement studio when duty calls to get the verse out. I guess the ego hurt now. It's time to go to work. Wow, look at him go. He really doubts to write about me when the world is in smokes. When it's people in trees. When George was begging for his mother, saying he couldn't breathe. He thought to write about me. One girl missing, another one go missing. One girl missing, another one. Yo, but little did I know all my reading would be about there is trans women being murdered and this is all he can offer and this is all y'all receive. Distract you from the convo with organizers. They talking abolishing the police and it's a new world order. After that, I don't even know if he responded to that, but then she actually later apologized for releasing that song and then immediately brought it back to, I said I'm sorry because my ego got in the way. Let's bring it back to these issues now. And... I actually, I, I really commend her for doing that because at the end of the day, if she's saying, you know, I want to be a voice for these issues and I don't want it to be about me and my beef with some other rapper, then the way that she ended up is exactly, it, it's her sticking to her guns and doing exactly what she said she stands for, so. It, uh, I will just let, let the guys jump in here like that. It did upset me a bit that when she when she apologized at the end. I mean, it was it was it was magnanimous of her. She didn't need to do it. Yeah. She, mm. I, I felt like she was on topic. Mm. She was on topic from minute one. The first reason she sent the post was because she's like, "There's people lying out here, say something." And then he came out with the bars. And then in the song, she was she was listing these people who had died. She was putting attention on them. And then yeah. all the way through, she she continued to tweet all the way through about other people about these issues and then she you know she just I, I kind of took that apology as her just like sort of just shooting her up in the belly and then like ah rubber bullets I'll get you next time watch yourself <laughs> <laughs> it's the weirdest it's the weirdest beef ever isn't it 
Like it to is, me, just yeah. this so this whole situation is so weird to me. Like the way that, <laughs> the way that I can imagine it is like you know when you're a kid and your mum tells you off in public, and then you go home and you run upstairs, you're like, mum's a bitch, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and you're cussing her under your breath. But it's like J. Cole's recorded himself calling his mum a bitch and all this yes. kind of shit. That's why I said, go write in your diary. Go write in your journal. Like, go cry in your room. Like, you don't need to write a whole song about it and publish it. It's like, bro, we, we, mm. what, are you, what are you doing? Man, yeah. I've got to be honest, right? I'm, I'm going to fess up. When I, first, when I first saw this situation, I was not necessarily playing devil's advocate, but I was like, yeah, I can understand why he's pissed off. Because if you're doing work in the streets and then you feel that someone's coming out there and saying, oh, you're not doing enough. And you're like, but motherfucker, I am doing enough then someone is going to be mad. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, yo, just keep it moving, man. What's what's wrong with you? There's more yeah. to life than yeah. this little situation. Because you yeah. think someone might be atting you about, come on, man. I just It really wound me up. And, and I just thought she was amazing in her response. It was kind of like off the cuff. Here's a little couple of bars I've got for you because there's way more important things in the world right now. So you want to have your little rap beef? I'll give you two seconds and then I'm going to keep it moving. And I thought that was perfect. She didn't need mm-hmm. to do a game 300 bars I'm running. She didn't need to do any of that. <laughs> just a little 90 second song that was enough. And I thought it yeah. was glorious, man. She wiped the floor yeah. with him. I mean, that's that's the thing for me, Dom. It's like, No Name's grace in her response was, as, you know, was astounding. Like, it was, she executed it with a, the most class. Mm. Like, you know, I'm a massive rap fan, hip-hop fan, and I'm, you know, I'm a massive Wu-Tang fan, so it's aggressive, it's loud, it's in your face, but what No Name did was, what she did was, was, was amazing. Like, she just, she showed why we should listen to black women. You know what I'm saying? It was that simple for me. It was just listen to her. She's you know, she's an amazing woman. She's she's about it. She's even executed a man while still living the cause. And this what, is it. On. Is like I often talk about um, uncomfortable truths. It's like a thing that I, I love to talk about. It's like let's get uncomfortable. And an uncomfortable <laughs> truth that we need to just be talking about, which we need to undo a, a historical lie, because the belief is that historically black men have had it the worst. No, the fuck we haven't. Like, can we just be honest and make it clear that as long as patriarchy exists, which has been as long as, like, as long as the West has kind of been winning, if you're a woman, you have it worse. And black women have had it the absolute worst. And we never, ever talk about it. And it, and it's not, and I'm not saying this in that way of kind of like, there has to always be a winner or a loser, but it's like, when it like I said in I I I spoke at um, a Black Lives Matter protest up here, and I said, "Look, George Floyd died. The world stopped. Breonna Taylor was murdered in her bed, and we kept it pushing. And it's that's obviously simplistic. There isn't video of Breonna Taylor being killed, and 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 all of that, and all of that. But you know what? It's it's much." <laughs> The names of Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland, kind of, we, we know those, but there are just as many black women that are out there. If you go and just do a quick Google search, you're like, rather, they've been dying too. And so when No Name is calling these people out, it's like, and the other thing, first of all, here's how, here's how fragile the male ego is. When I, yep. first, when I saw the No Name tweet, I can't remember who I sent a message to. I was like, oh, she's sending a shot at Childish Gambino. I thought it was really clearly a shot at Gambino because obviously he had This Is America last year. 
And it's like, J. Cole hasn't said anything recently about that kind of stuff. Because people are like, oh, no, it's Kendrick. It's I was like, oh, it feels pretty clearly a shot of Gambino. But just the mere whiff that it might have fallen on J. Cole had him, yeah. had him like, acting like Drake. Like, do you know what I mean? Man was just <laughs> deep into his feelings for no reason. And it's like, why? My guy, like... And this yeah. and this is the point is like um, I saw I saw a thing come out today that said today's the first day that uh, or yesterday was the first day that Breonna Taylor's name hadn't trended, and it's like George Floyd's murderers are in cuffs. Two of the three uh, police that killed Breonna Taylor are still working as police out in the streets, and one of them is on like desk duty, and and I think there's one thing that you said, Alana, that where you were like kind of. You know, you understood and you, you, you framed the language of kind of having to keep calm with, with what you were saying about no name. So you said, I understand the way that she kind of, you know, kind of clapped back on Twitter. But it was rooted in this language of I have to keep calm. And again, this is something that we have to talk about when it comes to black women. It's like any understanding of Black Lives Matter that doesn't center black women is a failure because you've got to think about it from hair to body shapes to intellect to the words that they use, black women have for the longest time been mocked, but also revered in equal measure. You know, you go back to the hot on top Venus, you kind of think about, you know, uh, we think of big women, big black women, and they're either sassy, so sexualized, or they're big mamas, you know? And, and so there's, there's no perfect shape. And it's like, so, there needs to be, and Nate, you said it, a lot of just shutting up and listening to black women and then actively doing the work. And this is the thing is like, because mm. if, if J. Cole had done that, he'd gone, you know what? I don't need to say anything public and put the spotlight on me. I need to get out in them streets. Maybe I need to release a record. Maybe I need to kind of go to the people around me and do that work. But instead he was like, oh man, like, like I'm in the struggle too. It's like my guy. My guy. And instead of even private messaging and being like, yo, <coughs> I feel like this maybe was directed towards me. Like, let's talk. What can I do? Like, just going straight into the studio. It just was so... But she made him feel like he had a little dick. Man, that's all it is. <laughs> that is literally all it is, man. That is literally all it is. Yeah, and righteously so. Chair, well, what I will say is, a lot of, for a lot of people who sort of know only know no name by name or no name by no name eh? right um some important context is she has undergone a very public education over the last 18 months like she used to get dragged all over the place like from i've got to pull up a tweet here which she got people had a go of oh it said capitalism isn't evil evil capitalists are evil capitalism is a toll and everyone's like let that that's incongruous with your sort of attitude of being a black feminist um mm. and that's just one example there was a bunch of so she like went away she did the reading she'd asked for books to read and it's been a very sort of public education awakening however you want to put it that she's undergone so i can understand for someone like her how exactly how frustrating it would be that like someone like people couldn't even be bothered to tweet when you've you yourself have have very publicly uh, humbled yourself yeah. and put in the work and done the reading and done the learning so that there is that sort of layer yeah. beneath uh beneath all this yeah i think so either angelo if i to think it was angelo you said that we often say that black men have it bad black women have it worse 
there was something that I watched just last week that really resonated with me. So I know I told you guys to watch the Wu-Tang documentary. And we've obviously all, we all know the deal with ODB. Very troubled character. And one of the things from that documentary that kind of broke me and made me just sit there and listen was, there was an interview with his mum. And they were talking about around the time that he died. And his mum said that she didn't, she couldn't cry at his funeral because she said that his whole life she'd been crying because she was worrying about him, worrying for him, worrying what society was going to think of him, worrying what society was going to do to him. All these things. So she had to carry that burden her whole life to the point that she couldn't even really properly grieve her son because she knew that he was out of that misery. So she's carrying that double misery right there. Mm. And I've had similar conversations with my mum before. I'm a 29-year-old guy who's never been in trouble with the law, just go about my business, got a solid career, and she's terrified for me every single day of the week because of something that happened to Stephen Lawrence back almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that kind of conversation is the one that we don't have. It might be a case of, well, this black woman, she got insulted at work, so she's got it really bad. No, we're not talking about that kind of shit. That's not what we're talking about here. This is the internal stuff that we don't really mm-hmm. speak about. And until people are ready to understand that conversation, I don't think we're gonna make any progress on this whatsoever. Well, just to put it into context, like this idea of fear and fear within the community of black women and this when I say black women, I want to include queer trans like all black women. I as a black female specifically because I am black and female I wake up and immediately am in a state of fear. When I encounter a man, whether that's black, white, any color, am I going to be accosted in some way sexually? When I encounter women who are not black, am I going to be threatened or shamed in some way? Uh, my dad, who is black, I'm terrified for his life. Uh, I've, I don't even know if I want kids, but the fact that when I have to consider if I do want them, if it's a son or even a girl, I'm already afraid. Being a black woman is being indoctrinated into um, a state of fear and mm. constantly or like an underlying anxiety that doesn't really go away. So that in itself is the emotional violence that we undergo on a moment by moment basis, just by living in a system of oppression is very real. And it is um, one of the least talked about things, I think, in the Black Lives Matter movement. From my own personal experience of growing up alongside the Caribbean side of my family. <laughs> Imagine this, I used to have a lot of hair. Uh, <laughs> I used to, used to get it braided and cornrowed um, by my auntie down in, in West Bowling, which is obviously a, a, a heavily kind of black part of Bradford. It was kind of a trade-off. Auntie would do my hair and I would help her with her tribunal case. And one thing I've always, I've, I was raised by women anyway. So I always say, I this idea of a patriarchy is hilarious. Anyone who's got a brain knows women are smarter would do things a better way like just humble yourself but then being around my auntie who was fighting this com- you know her company and employer clearly being discriminated against because she was a black woman for me seeing that up close and, and being involved in it obviously exposed me to it on a level which i'd never usually i'd still be ignorant to that experience if it wasn't for that and i think as much as it was you know devastatingly difficult to to see her go through that tribunal and and lose so imagine you go through all that effort and then you lose and then there's no job there's no you're in a worse position than when you started 
it became so blatant to me why why people don't talk about this why black women don't talk about this because the weight of revealing this is not just in your own actions and the immediacy of the people around you you're, you're uncovering you know it is pandora's box to a lot of people they're not willing to reconcile with the idea that this is going on that this is real because when you absolutely nailed it alana the emotional violence on a moment by moment basis obviously for me i can only see that i cannot experience it as a man i'm 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 just aghast i'm i'm disgusted that this is the norm and you know once again it comes back to the same old point for me it's my role as a man as a black man to speak up not for you but to to create that space for you to enable yeah, you yeah to creating to the space you. is the key word yeah, yeah. It's because not, i it's think not about yeah. me. i cannot i cannot tell people what it's like being a black woman instead what you know and it's something i try and do within once again i, I come back to my career like opening space for underrepresented people like creating an internship program at the company i work at we have to elevate people that aren't here i can't do it for them i can't i can't represent them so create them a platform for their voice for their for their pain because this is what it is to be heard well i mean there's a, a pretty good example of that i don't know if you guys are aware of it with the uh the rapper ambush and ray black so ray black's a, a uk artist and basically she posted an account of something that happened at an event where he she'd never met him before and he just approached her and then she said hello whatever and apparently he just he basically just groped her breast and she was like wait what wait what and this was at a music industry event and she sort of lived with it for a while and then obviously she's decided that she doesn't want to live with it anymore so she gave him an opportunity to sort of come clean and apologize for it properly and he didn't take the opportunity, so then she went public with this. And what happened was he, at first, there was a sort of half-hearted apology. He's like, oh, it's just flirty banter, you know me, I'm a flirty guy. To eventually, a few messages later, him getting annoyed that she was going on about it. <laughs> and it was it's almost like it's her job to save his face for the actions mm. that he has done. Mm. And this is, you, you see it, you see it a lot. Uh, you know, men like do stay silent about these things. They don't. Uh, they don't take the women's side. Like, say, silence is compliance, and that's that's all. That's you know, that's pretty public. And you guys haven't really heard of that. That sh that should be <laughs> in newspapers. To be honest, I'm not sure why it hasn't been. It, you know, it's, it's a serious thing going on. So, but that's it. That's it. She she would have. Sorry, just to carry on there. Ray Black was effectively keeping his secret she was protecting his reputation not because she wanted to but because in 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 order that she felt she had to protect herself mm. so and that's where that sort of chimes into what you were saying Nate, about there needing a need for for others who are in a position to to create a space for women to be able to take that decision if they want to mm -hmm. to you know either open up or you know just advance in in whichever they want to sort of Cover, to cover those issues but here's how deep it is where you kind of go there is a real need for kind of some root and branch change and deeper education because i still when i still remember the clip where uh, louis walsh was sitting next to mel b and just starts groping her on the couch and she turns and looks at him and like visibly moves away but the whole interview just keeps on moving 
and it's that idea like the what how wh- how deep is it that you just feel comfortable doing that not to a ray black who is trying to make her way in the industry and doesn't feel like she can speak out but mel b's been established do you know what i mean mel mm-hmm. b's got money and he still I, I, like the video is really horrible and really shocking and then the yeah. other thing that i would say and this is something this is a message as much to kind of myself as it is to anybody else is like just because you're raised by lionesses doesn't kind of cover you where you you like mm-hmm. if i if i do shitty stuff i can't go well look no i've been raised by these tough women it's like mm-hmm. so if i'm raised by these tough women i have to live the lessons that they taught me shout out to my mum it's her birthday today um but like, you know oh, I mean? happy like, birthday! Yeah, yeah, for happy real. Birthday. <laughs> happy birthday! Happy birthday, Marge! This is all for you. This is uh, for you, Marge. Cutting at your present. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I did. I sent her some flowers. I sent her some flowers. Um, but do you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of black guys who's like, no, you can't say nothing to me because I was raised by my mum and my two sisters. And it's like, yeah, but you still you're doing this shitty stuff. Like that doesn't yeah. cover you. But Nate, you were gonna say it's yeah. like when a it's like when a white parent has a mixed race child and they're like, I'm not racist. My child is black. It's like, yeah. mm. do not black friend uh, the thing. This yeah. is <laughs> that's what it is. This is this is why I love my mum. Obviously, my mum is white. One thing, my mum. I always say this. I find astounding and amazing is how well she prepared me for racism when she's not experienced like she got a sample when she was obviously with with my with my dad and you know she's told me some horror stories there but one thing she's done is prepared me for a world that is racist and that and and allowed me with a way of dealing with it that i i don't know where she got it from she's never experienced it yet she was so able to see the racism and i think we come back to this idea of male fragility well, that's all any of this inevitably comes down to. Male fragility, white fragility, you know. It's it's this idea of individualism rather than a collective. It comes down to this idea of I must be this perfect, shining example. And once again, it comes back to capitalism. It's not hard to tell why things are why they are. Nate, I think as well with that, though, it comes back to ownership, individual mm. and collective ownership. And the reason I say this so... Dan, you might have seen this. So there was someone that you often recommend people to follow on Instagram, um, Salma. Elwar Dan, yeah. She said she posted something yesterday along the lines of a woman picks up the phone. She's got one of her friends on the line. Um, a friend tells her a story, and all of a sudden, she knows 15 women who have been raped. And then she rolls over to her husband, doesn't really say much. And her husband doesn't know any boys that are rapists. That None of his friends are rapists. None of his boys would do that. And then the point of it is, she knows 50 women that have been raped. He doesn't know anybody that would do that kind of thing. These numbers don't add up. So mm. when people start talking about, yes, I was raised by a black woman. How could I ever do that? I've got a black girl who's my daughter. Come on, let's start to look at it and take a bit of ownership now about, well, I know that my boy was acting a bit messed up with a girl the way that he was speaking to and dealing with her last night. So it's now my job to not just say, okay, I was raised by a black woman, so I didn't do that. Check your boy as well. He shouldn't be doing mm. that. These kind of things, mm. then we need to take more ownership for it. And it's all mm. well and good preaching a message. you got to act it as well. Yep. And I, know, I don't catch feelings if somebody speaks a hard word to me and, I know, and, and, and it's neat. Like the only time I would catch feelings is if I'm like, Boy, yeah, like, there's a truth in that that I'm not yet ready to accept. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is, mm-hmm. like, if I'm, you know, uh-huh. like, like you could, you say to me, look, you you've got this platform of, 
I don't know, like on Twitter, and you've talked loads about George Floyd, but you ain't mentioned Breonna Taylor. You ain't mentioned uh, these these black women. I could, if I didn't go, well, look, I'm raising attention to the thing. It's like no, no, no. Just listen to what's being said. And and I think also I've, I always say this is like talk to the people around you because it's tough taking criticism from anybody, but it's, it's mm. especially hard when it's just like when you catch a drive by on Twitter. Whereas if like if Dan wants to tell me something then I'm more likely to listen to it because I respect, and I know intrinsically, you know, this guy loves me, he's for me, he wants me to be better. And I think there's a yeah. lot of people that are like three-star Twitter generals who won't say anything to family members. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And this uh, is one thing that, you know, in my career uh, as a designer in creative industry, the idea of feedback mm. is critical to the to anything. Like this idea that me as a human being, I am not going to seek feedback like on what I'm doing, especially like Angelo from the people around me, like over the last few weeks, me and you have had how many conversations to try mm. to validate my experience and your own experience and how to like navigate through them. If there was any kind of fuck shit in that, I have no doubt you would have told me, yo, you can't do that again or you mm. should do that and why? And like, that's it. Like don't, once again, no fear that you will not turn around to me and go, yo, what the fuck? And that for me is what friendship is about. It's about friendship is about accountability. I don't want to be surrounded by people that I can't trust and understand what how they're going to act in a certain function or a certain environment. Why would you want to be friends with people like that even in the first place? It's it's wild. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I did like goal setting for the first time, and I say a couple. It's like four or five years ago, because every year people just set New Year resolutions and it didn't really get anywhere. So I thought, you know, I'll try and do this in a constructive way. And I think I didn't know if I, I, I was coming out of like a relationship at a time which had ended not, not long before. And I thought and it's, it didn't it didn't really, you know, life wasn't really exactly where I wanted it to be at the time. So, you know what, do an audit. What's going well in life? What's going badly in life? What do I need to do more of? There were, th- there were ideas I had, but I thought y- you need to really sort of break this down so then i i look i got 10 different people i knew uh, some people from work some people like friends from home different closeness as well like they're all friends but some were really close others were not so close and i was like okay and i asked them like i'm, I'm doing this life audit what do you think uh is good about me what do you think's like bad about me what do you think i could do more of less of and i said be as honest as you can and i think in the end like nine of them got back to me and I tell you what, it was some of the most awkward, uncomfortable things I've had to read. Not because they're bad, but just because you don't know. When someone recognises, I, I agreed with everything that was said. And when and in fact, I, I was a lot harder on myself than other people were, because that's just the sort of the nature of it. But when someone verifies something you already think about yourself, but independently of that thought, it's very like, you're like, oh, shit I was right I was right about myself and then you've got to go about turning that into a positive thing but yeah that was the first year I did that and I I was then able to sort of sort of behavior correct and now and now before I do things or when I do things or when I like I'm going to pursue things I think of what my friends would do and I think of what my friends would say or I'll come to you and say these things and once you open yourself up to that kind of feedback and that kind of thinking about how other people that you respect think about these issues you start to see a better you know a, a bigger change in who you are and mm. i think with regards to sort of being i'm i'm not around 
a massive amount of black women anymore. I'm, ju- I'm just not. As someone who grew up with, with so many around me, it's just sort of the way it's worked out now. But what I do is I prioritise those voices massively. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's that's all you can do is, uh, well, it's not all you can do. I could I could go and hang around with more, I guess. And that's, that is a failing that I need to look at. But I do try and prioritise those voices and let them guide how I behave and how I think. You know, what's me me being uncomfortable for an hour or not even that, me being reading something uncomfortable which is, makes me think, Oh shit, I, I'm I've been a bit of a waste man in this in- situation that is very, very temporary discomfort in the grand scheme of being a better person and making the world a better place for other people. Dan, that's like that's honestly amazing that you kinda of came to that yourself because when I was kind of that whole process of kind of self-reflection, learning, willingness to be to be kind of reconciled with yourself. I had to be shepherded through that process and guided through that process, you know? Like when I, for me, the first real awakening of that was when I first went through uh, CBT and kind of talking therapy. This idea of treating your, your actions as a separate entity to self and then being able to say, yo, it's, yo, yeah, I fucked up and letting go of the fact you fucked up and deciding to do something about it. Don't be guilty. Next time I'm in there, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to use this word. I'm not going to act that way to that individual or in that instance. And that's one thing we as definitely as men, we fail to, to do. We fail to, to have a culture of, of reflection and of, 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 of honesty. It's a lot of bravado. It's a, you know, masculinity is a, such a, a full concept because it's like what you're talking about is fragility. You're hiding behind an image of something that none of us really are and instead if we spent more time looking at ourselves and, and and reconciling with that that's where we start yeah i mean and i don't want to for a second give any impression that like i did it this christmas five years ago and now i'm <laughs> i'm working them all the way there it's, that was basically yeah that was that was the start of a process which is going to go on for the rest of my life and it's not a continuous process where we, i'm just always going forward but it's as soon as you as soon as you know that you don't know shit <laughs> that's a really good place to be in yeah it's, to, it's knowing you don't know shit and well, then you can start to go and then it's on you to actually do take the steps to actually be be a better person be a better ally this is one of the myths of education in it is that you 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 try to learn something and you you, you learn something and then you've got it and you can use it and it's really valuable when the reality is exactly as you say the more you learn the more you realize i don't know nothing the longer I've spent in my career, the more I realize there is so much to it. There is a, a complexity to it. The more I've lived my experience in the North, I've seen uh, Newcastle, there's a complexity to it. It gets bigger and bigger. It's something as simple as in the last few months, going and spending time, being forced to spend time here has mean I've seen a complete different side to the, the area I live in. Then why wouldn't you try and translate that to the rest of your life and look at things differently and look at where you not just you can improve and contribute but just look at them generally i think a lot of people don't even do that basically just fucking listen to black women just listen to black women it's, in it just listen to black women yeah put it on a t-shirt put it on a t-shirt put it on an episode title yeah simple so if anyone knows that i'm in touch with the show I 
I mean, this is, this is this is primarily an audio podcast, Dom. So you've 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 spoiled the illusion there. <laughs> no, no one would have known. <laughs> it's actually just four guys taking it in turns to put on a girl's voice. <laughs> well, we can't we can't be we can't be talking and preaching like this and then. We have one woman as the voice of all women it's, forever. It's, 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 exactly. Yeah. We, need, yeah. we need to do yeah. better. Look, hold on. If we can go up behind thought... the curtain a little bit, if you do remember the podcast that we were meant to record the weekend the country shut yeah. down, we were going to be having yeah. Yeah. the esteemed writer and now head of, I believe, diversity and inclusion at London Met University, Sophia Raquel, on the podcast. But you're right, though. We can't be resting on our laurels. Um, no. Hold tight, Sophia Raquel. Hold tight. Who? She's just out here doing the work, man. Doing the work. Mm. I just. But what I would say is, like, we we are going to try and and make some of these happen. It's just, you know, you like to get people introduced when yeah. you're in person. You can get them on on the camera, and hopefully, I think we're going to be able to get some studios opened up exactly. soon. Constance, you're coming uh, on I soon look as well. To... Shout out to Constance. Mm. He's, yeah, mm. he's, and I mean, that, he's out that... here. Just go ahead, Dan. Stop. Stop unilaterally inviting guests on. Can we just? <laughs> I'm not inviting. I'm just shouting out. Shout out Nadine White. Oh, yeah, Shout yeah. out Natalie. Does anyone else? Shout no, out these, no, these amazing um, black. I feel like I'm watching a Lenny Henry um, acceptance speech. <laughs> 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 the Loxon Gang, the Blacksons Gang, Benedetta Lodge, Sama El Wadani. So I want to give a shout out to Ira Aldridge, Paul Robeson, Lord Kitchener, Cy Grant, Billy Small, Desmond Decker, Bob Marley, Charlie Williams, <laughs> Sophia Kell, A for her. Shout out, Dormsey. <laughs> what? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Reniado Lodge, come on the show, friend of the pod, for, forever, forever. You'll never buy a bottle of water after you come on this pod. <laughs> Shout out to her. Did she become I've the first you. black woman to have a bestseller in the UK? Yeah. Yep. In yeah. America, it? it was in America. She times best. Holy shit! Yeah. Oh, she was. Uh, yeah. She made the list. Okay, in fact, I brought the list up the other day. And, and first of all, shout out her response. Can we shine light yeah, on, on yeah, how yeah. she's donating profits from it to, to you know, putting pony enough? I think I've seen a lot of talk about specifically, you know, there was, you know, the Twitter streets were saying, you know, she's capitalizing off the black experience and this and that, and she's not really doing this. <laughs> Listen, she's pony enough. Why does Twitter right. sound like DWE? Mm. Yeah. Bloco, uh, <laughs> <laughs> bloco. Uh, yeah. So shout out, shout out, Renee Lodge. Yeah, she 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 will come on the pod still, I reckon. Um, yeah, I, I will just. Uh, with, there's a natural. There's a natural lull here. I, I know. I think I thought this was what Tom was, Dom was going to go into initially when. Uh, Angela sat talking about the new Beyonce song because obviously she's released that little video for the Lion King visual <laughs> album, and there are two. There are two points of view here. The first point of view is, yes, look at Beyonce, black excellence, black royalty, and then the other one is like it was when I thought you started talking about the Wakandification and the obsession where black people have to be royalty. Or they have to be slaves. They can't just be a normal person going to get milk. I thought you were going to pick that up. What was that from? That, I've seen that somewhere else where they start questioning why do black people always have to be excellent? 
Oh, it's from Queen and Slim, yeah. isn't it? Queen and Slim. Why we gotta be excellent all the time? Why can't we just be? Yeah, yeah. Just be. this is it. And I kind of, I kind of get both sides of it because this visual album is just a visual representation of the Lion King. So that's that is one. But to me, that's very lazy. Uh, from and it's quite clearly a calculated uh, choice to sell what is a very valuable uh, visual trope. She won't even tour the country, and yet she's making bank off it left, right, and centre. Country, God, oh, fucking hell, we mate. To, God, we're gonna have to cut oh. this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This guy, the continent, <laughs> continent. But anyway, that doesn't have a place. But I just thought I'd bring it up because it was in my mind. <laughs> just had to call um, that one out there, Dan. <laughs> it was just, mate. It was, it was just in there. Like I think it is interesting. Like I get both sides of it. She, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. a Lion King visual album, and it's mm. a be- it's a great aesthetic. And to be fair to her, she did, she did formation, and she's done deep south black. She's like she's, she has done kind of earthy roots black expression, but I think in this time, in this moment, she, it's a very calculated view to put that forward for for a disney audience yeah so in this podcast i've written down a bunch of resources because i'm out here getting my education too so uh or my my uneducation if you will but um yeah so to actually support justice for brianna just go to justiceforbrianna.org Brianna is spelled B-R-E-O-N-N-A. And on that website, it tells you who you can call, who you can email, um, petitions to sign, places to donate to support her family. Um, Because I personally think the hashtag say her name is not doing all that much. And I also wanted to highlight the fact that with this whole hashtag say her name, say his name, uh, a friend of mine, I'm in this, I'm in this black women's writing group and one of my friends in the writing group, she highlighted that she was watching a BBC, uh, newscast on Sandra Bland and it said, say her name, say her name, hashtag say her name. And my friend actually took pictures because nowhere in this newscast did they actually put the name Sandra Bland. It was only if you stop to watch it that they started to talk about her name. And so it was almost to the point where it was like, is this intentional a little bit? Because it's like they're throwing around this hashtag, say her name, and it's like we all know what that represents, but then you don't even have the like wherewithal to actually put the woman's name in text on the screen so um this is why i think the whole say her name thing it's it's kind of it's run its course i think so now it's just you know go to the websites take action just to sort of follow that up it's interesting in america there was like i can't remember i said it on the last pod or not but it was there was this like initial surge of energy like we've never seen and i think i did apologize for saying like this is not going to change anything like protest on its own doesn't change anything well when you've got your moment, when people listening, you better make your demands there. I think it was, it was Bamani Jones said, like, people didn't even know that it was possible to defund police. Yep. People didn't even know a thing. Yeah. And look, lo and behold, they've gone from looting to to defunding police <laughs> to getting things to getting things changed. And in the UK, we've gone to like getting statues down and whatnot. So to having senators pointing guns yeah. at them. 
on their lawns. Absolutely. Madness. Oh my goodness, that <laughs> picture. <laughs> when people Madness. say it looked like a Benny the a Benny the Butcher album cover. <laughs> <laughs> the protesters I met just oh, blacked out the stop eyes. Stop it, that's bad boy. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that shit would be funny, except we just know how many black people have been arrested for yeah. having a gun it, illegally. Yeah. Killed, you know, killed, for um, killed for nothing, yeah. For nothing. Killed for nothing. Alton Sterling in the car, do. you know, I'm a, I'm a registered yeah. gun owner. Pa, 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 pa. Castile, man. Philando Castile. Exactly the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Tamir Rice got yeah. murdered for having a plastic gun. But this white woman, this Karen with. It's standing on her lawn. Finger on the trigger. Finger on the on the trigger. <laughs> like, nah. Sorry. And but yet we're gonna try and be nuanced in the debate about well, is it racist? It's like, nah. Look, stop it. Stop gaslighting people. Stop gaslighting people. You sort of move me on to what would go on as a light, more lighthearted topic. I remember my favorite episode of television growing up was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when Carlton pulled up for Will uh, with the gun mm. after Will got shot Fresh Prince and uh, I used to watch that on Trouble probably it must it felt like it was on every month yeah. and I must <laughs> I felt like I watched it 12 times a year you know Trouble was probably the single greatest programming lineup in the history of television. Oh, no, it was incredible. You couldn't roll with it. Nobody could hang with, with Trouble as a child. Do you want to explain, you want to explain to what Trouble is to, <laughs> to a lot To the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Why do people not know what Trouble is? Trouble was a channel on kids' TV which had... It had a bunch of different comedies, but primarily sort of... Were they, were they black comedies? Black TV shows? But it, it was a mix, wasn't it? Yeah. But it had sort of like... It had Fresh Prince of Bel-Air... It had um, Moesha, Martin, Mark, it had Moesha. So we, we had, had my wife and kids. We had the same it exact had... thing. I just forget what it was called. It was Channel 5, yeah, I though, I think. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. People, I'd, I'd never seen, heard this channel. And when you told me it, and it had all the black shows, I was like, what? And they called it Trouble. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It I, had the Wayans... Yeah. The Wayans Brothers, every once in a while they just drop in like something like the Wayans Brothers or they drop in all the series of Martin, just like, pow, mm. hold that. It was magnificent. Absolutely <laughs> magnificent. <laughs> so we just uh, thought we'd lighten things up with our favourite TV shows growing up. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, obviously my favourite. Had to be. Had to be. It's In fact, if you look at all those shows like... It's the only one that has aged. It's 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 ageless. Yeah. Mm. I can't believe people have been watching Friends still. <laughs> I don't know. Can't believe people are still <laughs> piling in money for reruns of that rubbish. It, that is aged like milk. <laughs> How much were they paying for that apartment? <laughs> None of them had their jobs. Anyone's, it's literally anyone a who's been to New York. Anyone who's been to New York knows how like, much they you're cost. Not, they, that would, uh, Jesus, uh, loft, New York loft. Yeah, nope. Two bed like that. You're not chatting like that. But Fresh Prince of Bel Air, you know, give it, give it its flowers at all times, at yeah. all times. Yeah. Accolades. Uncle Phil raised the whole generation of children, man. Yeah, true. I'm black, Aunt Vivian. First things first. 
I'm glad I that was the slyest <laughs> shit that anyone's ever done, you know, when they tried to get rid of dark-skinned Aunt Viv. I think that no one would notice. That episode where she was in the ballet class, that is legendary television. Oh, legendary. so good. Oh, she yeah. was undefeated. Oh, shit. I low-key sometimes when I'm by myself <laughs> envision, I, like, I, I want to say maybe once a month, that scene plays in my head. Well, I've done that. <laughs> and I am up there. I've got the arms out and shit, man. I've tried to do that as well. Honestly, man. And it's got one of my favourite ever, ever TV comedy moments. The episode where Hillary's almost fiancé proposes to her whilst he's jumping off a bunch of... <laughs> And he doesn't quite finish his proposal. <laughs> no spoilers there for anyone. Whatever happened to getting down on one knee? Oh, Daddy, that's for old fogies. I got down on one knee. Sustained. <laughs> Look, there he goes. Hillary Banks. <laughs> yes, Trevor. Will you marry me? <laughs> expert or nothing but i don't think he's supposed to be slamming into the ground like that please stand by great the president's about to interrupt my marriage proposal but honestly fresh prince man and the episode with will and his dad i mean i'm almost 30 and i can't watch that with a dry eye to this day yeah. yeah, I mean, I've recently rewatched it, like start to end. That episode, watching that episode now with his when he's with his dad, like obviously personally, it, it struck a chord that was, it was insane. But to think that that was, then the way that mess they were able to communicate a subjects so mm-hmm. meaningfully, that and it still holds true, you know, twenty twenty years later or however long later it is, yeah, it's insane. And I think that's what. You know, hit the nail on the head. Fresh Prince is is timeless. It's there's so many lessons to learn from it. You know what I mean? Like it's it really is. Uh, it it speaks for me. Uh, it was interesting. I was on a call with uh, someone I used to work with when I was at the university, uh, Dr. Suzy O'Hara, and she specialises in arts and culture. And reason I believe art and culture is so important is reasons like and shows like the Fresh Prince. We laugh and we joke about raising a generation, but it happened. You know what I mean? That there's that was for a lot of people. That was the example that they they learned from and and they set. So, yeah. you know, it was incredible, incredible. He's taken a lot of corn in this episode, but you know, J Cole did say, you know, rest in peace, Uncle Phil, for real. You're the only father that I ever knew. If I grow up, I want to be a bit, you know, like you. So, mm. but yeah, he's still a waste man. So. <laughs> mm, done, hasn't done any growing up since he wrote that song, has he? <laughs> Come on the podcast, Jay, to uh, defend yourself. Uh, yeah. Do you guys have the Proud Family here? Yep. The cartoon. Oh my god, yes. Okay, so for those who don't know, the Proud Family was a I think it was Disney actually, yeah, a Disney was. cartoon featuring a black family 
the Proud Family, obviously. The theme song was sung by Beyonce and Solange. Mm -hmm. And this was back... I was an actual child when this came back. Was back so this was like early early like before Solange even had a name like she probably was an actual child as well like over a decade ago <laughs> the amount of representation in that show first of all the fact that it was like you could watch a cartoon for once as with literal black people people of color they had an immigrant family where like the grandpa um didn't speak spanish like i think he was mexican he couldn't or he couldn't speak english and, like, he was always loving on, like, the black grandma from the Proud family. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the, like, the daughter's name was La Cienega, which that's just, like, it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. But it was just, like, to be a kid and to, it's, like, the only show on television, the only cartoon on tele television featuring people of color. And they were, like, loving and, I don't know, it was just the most heartwarming show. And I don't know what happened with it oh and magic johnson is in the show in fact i think it was produced by magic johnson which is why i was on tv because he's uh, like in the show as himself <laughs> as a cartoon um but, but the yeah. proud family if you can find episodes on that highly recommend it it's just good good watching good watching i mean i'm, pre magic I'm, I'm pretty sure no one's no one's gonna know this one but there's a another animated cartoon called go. static uh, shot there we now, go now that this is Lads, this one's important. This one's what important. is it? What's it called? It's called Static Shock. <laughs> and like, it's literally the only... Imagine I'm a massive comic nerd growing up, reading and watching and doing everything. It was the only one that had a black protagonist. Like, don't get me wrong, Justice League, you got Black Green Lantern voiced by... Oh, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Anyway. Um, but it was the only cartoon I saw growing up with a black protagonist. Mm. And it was... It was it was just incredible. Like it, it was like when um, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse came out, and like so, you know, it's what? like it's like one of, not just an amazing bit of animation and that, but that story was something I've resonate I've not resonated with a story like that in so long. Like, you know, you talk about Black Panther, I didn't resonate with that the same way I resonated with Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. You know, like yeah, Black Panther is this this futurism this this sense of, of it's in a warped world so why on earth would we draw it down and bring it into this world and this is a comic book set fan saying this you know i'd love if wakanda was real it's not like get over it uh, so for me the focus has to be on you know it's it comes back to looking at i guess the the point of representation again and i think that's why you know channels like trouble are so important Channels I used to, what was it, Toonami, all these adult swim, oh, where seeing these. Yeah. What's Toonami? Uh, That's, can yeah, I, can yeah, I yeah, just yeah. say that like, this conversation has really highlighted the age gap because I've heard of Fresh Prince and then everything else you guys have said has just been a different <laughs> language to me. I have no idea. I just want to say, in terms of the best social commentary I've ever heard on Black Panther black is Roy Wood Jr. did a comedy bit about people. it. Black Panther didn't even have time to help the rest of Africa. <laughs> That's how busy he was. All them powers, all them weapons, you telling me Black Panther couldn't swing by South Africa and free Mandela real quick? <laughs> he didn't have the time. He was only worried about Wakanda. That's what half the movie was about. Half the movie Black Panther was about him using his powers to help the rest of the world. He had to get his ass whooped by his cousin before he would even consider it. The whole 
movie, Black Panther. Brother, we cannot concern ourselves with the rest of the world. Wakanda is but Stop up! I have reconsidered my position. Now, if you'll excuse me, I will go drink more of my magical grape soda. But in terms of shows that I watched growing up, so I have always loved comedy, like stand-up comics. Um, and I'm from the generation where you could kind of get like the record player. You're old! Yeah, all right, cool. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like where you could listen to like the, the tapes, um, like I remember there was still some of the vinyl. So I was like eight years old, nine years old, listening to Richard Pryor, like kind of just sneaking out. I swear you're only three years older than Dan. <laughs> Like, you're not you're not that old bro it's 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 different though it's different i'm telling you and so the two the two shows for me that i watched that i loved growing up one was the real mccoy on bbc yep. which uh, was just so ahead of its time had and launched careers back. of so many uh amazing comedians uh like Curtis Walker. Curtis Walker is genuinely one of my favorite comedians of all time. And then a few, and it also launched most of the um, crew that went on to do Goodness Gracious Me. So uh, Mira Sayal was in it as well. Um, so that show, and then the other one. Which July 29th, was, it's coming back to your screens. July 29th, it's coming back. <laughs> the, the other one that kind of I just loved and probably loved more than... Um, then the real McCoy was the A Force because it was like a late night. It was almost like a variety show. So you had a host, and then there'd be there'd be loads of different programs. So there was like um, there was a drama called Brothers and Sisters, which is where I first saw David Harewood. But the absolute jewel of it was they had a comedy show, which was a real forerunner of things like Mock the Week. Um, in fact, it, it, it is basically Mock the Week, but with black comedians that were funny. Um, no shots, small shots. Um, but um, it, the regular guests were Curtis Walker and Jeannie Ashery, and they were hilarious. Like Richard Blackwood was on it too, and it was so they'd have audience bits. They would have a um, they'd have a what would you do, where they'd play a clip from a show and then say what would you do if this happened, and so that's what that's I was dumb. on. My favourite one of all time, I'm going to tell you about, it, and you won't be able to find it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the BBC lost the original reels, which just makes me so vexed. But you remember the um, Fresh Prince where uh, Will knocks on the door, knocks on the bedroom door, then walks in and he sees his mum in bed with a next man. John uh, Amos. <laughs> John Amos. <laughs> but the best bit, the best. So Curtis Walker goes. This is Curtis Walker. He goes. Good. He deserved it. Because when he knocked on the door, his mama said, who is it? She never said, come in. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I remember it to this day. So yeah, for me, I was on the comedians. I was listening to like Delirious, Raw, Bicentennial, Negro, because I don't want to keep bleeping myself. Um, you know, live on the Sunset Strip. Uh, just listening to uh, the great comedians and just laugh. Like, I, could, I could recite all of Delirious and Raw. Yeah, but would you choose to? Would you choose to nowadays with that content? Because I watched it back about a month ago, and Lord have mercy. The thing, Lord the thing have with, mercy. So here, and this is an interesting discussion. So with Delirious, you can remove 90 seconds of that. 
and it still holds up as an almost perfect bit of stand-up. The whole bit about the cookout, um, the like the the audience work, it is it is a how-to. Raw, I don't think I don't think holds up though. I don't think Raw holds, even though Raw is considered better. Nah. I think Delirious holds up better. I've never, for one second, thought Raw was better. I never understood. I think Delirious that. is so Delirious much better. Is ten times better. Ten times better. So you know the, the Stevie Wonder joke to this day still has me in bits because it's not a joke about the blindness; it's a joke about the celebrity. And people take singers. They love something about singers that people just love and shit. Because I remember I did Stevie Wonder on a show once. And black people lost their motherfucking minds. I had brothers rolling up on me going, Hey, you the motherfucker I be doing Stevie Wonder? That shit ain't funny, motherfucker. Don't you never let me see you do that shit again. I'll fuck you up. Stevie Wonder's a musical genius. That's terrible. That's terrible, man. Your mother brought you up wrong, that's what it is. I got mad. I was hanging out with Stevie two months ago. I said, look, Steve, I get too much motherfucking flack over this impression. I don't like doing it. I ain't doing the shit no more. Stevie said, well, I feel that. I said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but you got to cut Steve off quick, because if he get a roll going, he'll talk your ears off. You ever see Steve win a Grammy and come up and give one of them long-ass acceptance speeches? I say, and the winner is Stevie won this. Stevie be talking about, and I'd like to say that all the people in the world today and God's children and thing, and they would just take the motherfucking award and get the fuck out. Because <laughs> if you don't say nothing, the credits would be rolling. And Stevie going, and I'd like to thank. Uh, <laughs> I'd be in the car. I said, just shut the fuck up, Stevie. I'm telling you, you're a genius and all that shit. But you, my boy, man, we hanging. I mean, like it's nice and all that shit. But I don't, I don't appreciate all the flack. Cause personally, the piano and the singing. I told you I feel about singing. I ain't impressed. You want to impress me? Take the wheel for a little while, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I can make it work. It's like you want to impress me, hold the wheel. Is still one of the funniest lines I've ever come across. My, my dad is, he, I think he's the black man that a lot of black men kind of are, which is like, he was in the streets. So he was in the streets in uh, where the Tottenham riots happened. If you go and have a look at the Stephen Lawrence documentary, where they're looking at historical footage, my dad's there. If you look at the Stephen Lawrence stuff, my dad is there. He's been in those streets defending those causes. But I did, I do find it funny that kind of, he went through this, like, you know, we all went, through, I don't know if everybody's dad went through it, but the Nation of Islam stage where I had to go to Saturday school, you know, yep. being pa, my brother, being pa, my brother. And um, <laughs> my, my, my dad was trying to be a Buddhist knight. There's a real, honestly, my middle name is Lee, after Bruce Lee. My dad, honestly, thought, I'm not even joking. Lee, Lee. Oh, I can show you old pictures of my dad. Martial arts is that man's life. So whilst you guys were running around National Islam, my dad was <laughs> doing all that kind of shit. Yeah, my my dad's trained to I think black belt third down in jiu-jitsu. I remember once I walked in and saw him like just training with his nunchucks. <laughs> my dad is almost six and he can still do the splits. He can still but do the splits. A, we laughed, but there was a there was a reason. A, like, I've seen footage of the, of the Tottenham yeah. riots. Do you know what I mean? I've seen yeah. footage of the Brixton riots. It's like they were like, training to just front. live. Like them, them mm -hmm. National Front guys, like mm -hmm. they talk about rumbling all the time. So like my dad boxed as well. And he'd always say, you know, cause he, he trained around um, Battersea. And he'd always say, you know what? I could have made it as a boxer. My mum was like, he wasn't a very good boxer. And, but, but he would say, look, no man that can't beat me on the streets can beat me in the ring. Because he used to scrap with guys like, 
Frank Bruno, but then you think about it a bit more. It's like, no, they were scrapping with each other because it's like, if you can't beat me, you ain't going to beat 30 skinheads with, with bats and shit. Like, though, and, and so, Alana, you made this point about um, the trauma for women. I think that kind of, whilst we've had to deal with racism in our way, you know, it's being denied jobs. It's kind of being called the N-word. It's being told, you know, I'd love to have your babies. It's not kind of having to, you know, being a good athlete for real, because if you're not, you're going to get your head cracked in. And there's no, there are very few studies that I've seen that have actually looked into what the trauma was like for uh, first generation uh, African Caribbean boys in the UK. It's always US based. But the shit mm. that these guys were going through, where they yeah. don't, you know, they, 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 it's so funny because every black guy who's like an older of mine can do, like, they can speak full patois, like, fully, fully, fully. But then they can also do the cut glass English accent. And it's not like they're trying to front. It's like, actually, no, this is what we spoke at home. And this is what we spoke on the, in the streets. I think in this talk, when we were talking about, you know, how to support black women and for black men and all men really to educate themselves on how they can be allies to black women in all their various shapes, sizes. Um, I think self-care is really important. I think education is really important. And I think supporting the voices of black women is really important. So I just want to highlight a resource that I have found incredibly helpful and that I know is supporting black women all around the world, highlighting our triumphs and also acknowledging where we as a society just need to do better for black women. Um, and that is Girl Trek. Um, it's actually a US based uh, public health nonprofit for black girls and women, um, but they're digital so any, anyone can, can access them. And basically they're a health movement for black women and girls and they are they have a goal to get a million black women walking because you know black women are disproportionately affected by health issues and um you know access to to proper health care and so we're getting black women walking and they also do these little podcast episodes so you can listen into their calls they've been doing this 21 day black history boot camp which features 21 days of black women who have made contributions in history but who largely go nameless a lot of the time so you get a little education you get a little celebration you're out walking it's just a really great resource for black women and the people who want to support them love that whole type girl trick um we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll round up some resources and we'll just chuck them below the fold find them down there yeah, yeah. uh thank you alana Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Dom. And thank you, Angelo. Who we're going to do things a bit differently. We've been honouring black women to an extent there. And Angelo would like to honour two specific black women in his life that uh, led to him becoming the man he is today. So... I'll leave it with you, Jello. So first of all, uh, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say just hold tight to my older sister, Siobhan. She had a big birthday this year in May. Uh, love her to bits. One of the lionesses that helped raise me. Uh, she's now raising four boys, uh, doing a phenomenal job. 
could not love her anymore. <laughs> but it's not about you this week. So I wanted to just finish by <laughs> I wanted to finish by Move on. talking about Move on, Shevan. <laughs> I wanted to finish by just uh, saying happy birthday first of all to my mum Marjorie, Marge, uh, a truly phenomenal, truly truly phenomenal woman. Um, is very strong because she's had to be. She wears her grace. She wears it with grace. Uh, I love, I love the the ground she walks on, the job that she has done. She got four kids, all got their fingers and toes. You know what I mean? We've all, we're all, we all have very normal problems, which kind of coming from where we're from is is a massive achievement. Uh, and um, I'm gonna ask Dom to drop in uh, the song uh, "If You're Ready" by Ruby Turner because my mum played. <laughs> the backside off of that album and I didn't even realize the significance of the name of that album but I remember kind of as I started to kind of go on my own educational journey as it comes to feminism that Ruby Turner album is called Women Hold Up Half the Sky it's an amazing album and I can probably tell you all the words to it because that every day for about 10 years I would come home and it would hit five o'clock and my mum would just press play on that and we would listen to the entire album so happy birthday uh marge uh angelo loves you baby um and in five days time it's my younger sister shabazz's birthday and i cannot say enough about her almost all of the change in terms of my way of thinking over the last five years i would attribute to her she is again she's i always say that she is the smartest member she's the smartest person that i know um and she wears that again with such incredible grace uh she is as beautiful inside as she is outside um i kind of and i get emotional thinking about how proud of her i am and the kind of fuckeries that she's had to deal with um that I haven't and just an amazing amazing woman and it's a big birthday for her you never say a woman's age but it's a big one for her this year and I'm just super super proud of her and Dom so I'm gonna ask you to drop in for this one is Beverly Knight sister sister How could I have anything else except a song from a queen to a queen? So to my beautiful mother, Marge, to my beautiful sister, Shabazz, happy birthday. Enjoy your days. As soon as we've defeated Rona, um, I'm coming down to see you both. And yeah, like just massive, massive love from, from me to, to you guys. And hold tight, Shabon, to I was just joking earlier. Don't come for me. <laughs> 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 Thanks for listening guys and we out. Peace.